minus one. We're in the book of Isaiah, chapter 64. So if you, if you came in late, um, we're planning on doing a, uh, a time where we can get together next Sunday, meet here at the church at 2 o'clock to go cut down perfectly good Christmas trees and to put them into our living room, whatever. Anyway, uh, so we're going to go Christmas tree shopping, hunting. If you would like to uh, do that or if you don't have a truck but you would like to have a tree, um, Please see Don, Pat, myself, um, I don't know, anybody. So, because uh, they can deliver one. And one more. Um, this is up for auction. <laughs> no, if you want it, uh, I guess there's a second one, right. But if you, that's here, if, if somebody would like to take that home, uh, feel free. Um, it's a nice plant, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> what's that? But it comes with, as I said earlier, this is Daniel's, and he's giving it away. So it comes with, if, uh, if you do take it home, he has the right to come to your house and inspect for the first year and make sure you're feeding it and watering it properly. But anyway, um, Isaiah 64, enough of that. This is a powerful, powerful passage. And it's... it's Incredible! I, I got almost got to talk about it before I read it, but it's, it's incredible poetry, and it's incredible uh, uh, um, type of, of metaphoric teaching. But but it, it it's not just poetry for poetry's sake. It, it's speaking about reality, and as we go into the psalm, uh, excuse me. Uh, well, it feels like a psalm, but as we go into this chapter this morning. Uh, I'll, I'll point some things out to you to, to show you that it's, it's highly prophetic. And, and yet, what I love particularly about the Old Testament prophecies, a lot of them, that the ones that you see in the Psalms, that the ones that you see in Isaiah, Jeremiah to some degree as well, uh, they are highly poetic. And, and, and um, they probably all got, would have gotten good writing awards because they're just very meaty pieces of work. Uh, but they describe, remember, it's not just poetry for poetry's sake. It describes our reality. It describes our future promises. So let's get into this. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence as fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down. Here's a reference to Sinai here. The mountains shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear nor has seen the eye, nor, excuse me, nor has the eye seen any God besides you, who acts 
for the one who waits for him. There's your advent right there. You, might, you meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned, and in these ways we continue and we need to be saved. But we are like an unclean thing. All our righteousness are like filthy rags. We are fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. And we, we all are the work of your hand. Do not be furious, Lord, nor redeem iniquity, or excuse me, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please look, we all are your people. Your holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. O holy and beautiful temple, where our fathers praised you is burned up with fire. And all our pleasant things are laid waste. Will you restrain yourself because of these things, O Lord? Will you hold your peace and afflict us severely? So, Father, I ask that you would speak to our hearts concerning this word. That you would give us that vision of the faithful waiting upon you and entrusting our times into your hand knowing that as the psalmist says that your ways are perfect and that all your ways are just and so Lord we pray that you would work this passage into our hearts this morning and we ask these things in Jesus name and everyone said, amen. Actually, that answer to this question does continue in chapter 65. We won't take the time to look at that this morning, but uh, he begins to answer some of these questions that are asked in chapter 64. But, but in, in chapter 64, there's these questions that are asked, and they, they leave us hanging, don't they? They kind of leave us in the lurch, that, which really, to me, is, is kind of the expression of of who we are or that is what we are dealing with currently. The political scene is still messy. Probably always will be. Actually, I think about it, pretty much always has been my entire life. The pandemic whether you believe it or don't believe it or whatever the case may be. I don't know. I, I had a, uh, our son was tested uh, this week. Turned out to be negative, but I was sitting on pins and needles. Um, I, we had our first per- person that I knew personally pass away early last week. Uh, 
from the pandemic. It was a woman who used to attend this church. She moved away. Uh, she was quite elderly, but nonetheless, she passed away due to COVID. Um, and and just all the all this uncertainty and this 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 you know and I've I've, I've talked with some of you about it and 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 um, some of you have your own ideas about when the Lord will return. And, and personally, I you know, you do what you want with that. But but my my thoughts on this are He's going to come when He's going to come. And and He will not come. Probably on, a, on an hour that you expect not, he will come, by the way, because he said that. So that tells me that maybe if you expect him in a certain amount of time, he may not come because of that. I don't know, right? But, 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 but nonetheless, he's going to come. He's going to come. Paul said to the Corinthians, if we as Christians have hope in this life only, we are most miserable. Some of you are like, uh, yeah. Some of you are like, yeah, I get it. I mean, where is the justice today? Where is the goodness? Where is the morality? Where is the love? And we look at the lack of these things, and, 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 and it feels like my entire life that the world has been getting darker and darker. I don't know about you, but that's just how I've interpreted it. Things have changed. And it causes me to long to see God come and restore things on earth back to the way he intended them to be. And we do pray, hopefully. Hopefully we pray, but we do pray in our prayers, hopefully your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and it, it, this prayer that, that, that God, and part of that prayer I think is uh, really embodied in this idea of Jesus returning. And him coming back. He came once, as I said earlier. He will come a second time. But again, I think what's so important that often it is that we miss because because we we, we get so wrapped up in the first or the second coming that we don't we don't really begin to really think too much about asking him to come in our present situation. To come in our current time. And, and to just come and to be with us through through the ministry of his Holy Spirit. And, and to walk us through these, these times that even in this time of waiting that we do not have to wait alone. And, and this whole uh, uh, chapter uh, is it, really a prayer. It, it's a prayer that's held with incredible passion. And... and He's really, Isaiah here is expressing really that there's no greater joy than the idea of God coming and intervening personally, visibly in history, that the heavens would be torn apart. Now, I, I almost think of the heavens as this veil 
which I think there, there's, some, there's some correlation here between the veil and the temple and the heavens. I think that, I don't, I don't want to make a big deal of it, but I, I think there's a correlation here because when Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the veil and the temple? It was torn in two from top to bottom. This thing was heavy, by the way, and it was thick. And, and I, almost, I almost see this, this veil being torn apart, the heavens being torn apart, and here comes the Lord stepping through that and coming and showing himself and revealing himself. And, and so I think that, that these things are given to us. If, if anything else, chapter 64 should teach you how to pray, particularly when you're going through difficult times. And I think that's part of... And again, the chapters and the verses themselves are not divinely inspired. At least I don't believe they are. Your knowledge may vary. And if you, do, if you disagree with me, we need to talk later. But anyway, because um, that, that's, well, it's not a hill to die on. But, but nonetheless, I, I think this passage of Scripture really is instructed for us to really, to really uh, press ourselves into as we pray. And... I'll give you my opinion on this. I think it's completely legitimate to open your Bible and to pray it to God, word for word. And then when you're done with the passage, close the Bible, and then you've ended your prayer. I I spend a lot of my prayer time reading and reciting the Scripture. And just having that rehearsed in me. And, and, and it's an idea of I'm, if, if nothing else, I'm communing with God. I'm communing with God. I'm spending time with him. I am fellowship with him. And I'm doing it wrapped around that which he's already declared to us as his people. And, and reading the word of God as a form of a prayer. Not to try to figure out all the ins and outs. Of when is he coming? And probably in four or five years. Whatever the case may be. But to have this heart expression of what this particular chapter says. That Lord would you please come down and tear the heavens. And, and, and the mountains are going to shake. When, when your presence is made known. Can you imagine those mountains out there? I can almost see them through the blinds. Imagine them shaking. And, and it's the expression of God's incredible power. This incredible power that he has and come make yourself known. And, and, and the, the, this power that I don't have to be afraid of because I've received him as a Lord and Savior. And I'm on the winning team. And, and I believe that all of you are also on the winning team, that, that you've received Christ as Lord and Savior, so when he comes in his majesty and his greatness and his power, we don't have to fear. But we can sigh a collective sigh of relief. Just like individually, when we have those times of darkness, and we pray and we pray, and you know what's interesting? that, And I don't get this, all right? I don't get this, and I don't think anybody does, because I think different situations have different dictates, okay? They have different, God addresses different situations differently. But when you're walking through the darkness, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and, and it, it just, at times I have to say it bugs me, because I, I'm, I'm walking through darkness, and, and I pray, and what happens? It gets worse. Or nothing happens. I hate that. 
I don't know about you, but I hate that. But what I've also learned, Psalm 42, 7 says, deep calls out to deep. And I, I don't press in hard unless I'm really looking for an answer. Unless I'm really desperate. So what you have here, particularly in these first five verses in this prayer, is this incredible longing that Isaiah is expressing. He's saying, come down. This is figurative, of course, but and again, as I, as I talked about this earlier, figures of speech in the Bible always point to a literal reality. This isn't just some type of platitude. Because if this is a platitude, I don't need it when I'm going through darkness. I need something solid. I need something that I can place my hope and my trust in, not just some type of platitudinal idea that everything's just going to feel better. Because it may not. That you would come down and the mountains would shake at your presence. I love, I love, if the the songs, I, I don't always do this, but I pick the songs particularly for this psalm this morning. Excuse me, for this passage. I love your presence. I thought of a song that we... We almost sang this morning. We used to sing it. It's an old one. But in your presence, Lord, the mountains melt like wax, right? And and this idea of God's mighty power. And and, and, and I think about, and again, part of this even refers back to Sinai. Remember at Sinai that, that the mountains were shaking and it was smoking and it was lightning and thundering and all loud noise and earthquakes. And remember the people's response? You guys remember this? They said to Moses, you go up there. We're not going up there. We're going to get smoked if we go up there. You go up there. He likes you, right? Now, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, all right? But that's essentially what they said. You go up and take care of this God and tell us what he wants us to do and we'll do it. They were scared out of their wits. A holy fear, perhaps. And the fear of the Lord, the Proverbs have told us what? Is the beginning of wisdom. Yes. Because if that sky actually tore and through the partition the Lord actually stepped through, it would scare the daylights out of me and I would be, thank God I'm one of his because you know what? As Robin Williams once said, he's coming back like an iron steel worker. Okay. All right. But until then, we are people earlier described in the book of Isaiah chapter 2. I referred to it earlier. The people who walked in darkness are looking. It says they have seen, by the way, but they are looking for a great light. That you would come down and that you would shake the mountains. And as fire burns brushwood... One of the first things I did when we moved here was there was all kinds of brush around the house. It's like, didn't you ever do anything? Anyway, um, I cut all that stuff down and I burned it. Try to create some defensible space, right? But it was amazing to me that this stuff was fresh out of the ground and how it just was consumed by the fire. The fire in the scripture often is a picture of what? God's holiness. God's purity. God's consuming fire. It tells us that he is a consuming fire. And, and, and 
It talks about our lives being, uh, 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 being put in the fire and the silver is put in the fire and it is melted and then what happens? The dross is removed from the, from the silver. That is the impurities of the metal. It floats to the top and they skim it off. And so this idea of the fire comes and it's a purifying effect. No doubt this is the baptism that John the Baptist talked about that he will baptize you with the spirit and with fire. That he would come down and the fire burns brush. And fire also causes water to boil. I boiled water this morning. So what? Right? Anyway. Okay. Because I don't have coffee until I'm actually here. Right? Um, But I have tea. It's because it kind of keeps me down a little bit. All right? So, because I've noticed that if I drink too much coffee, I'm so dried out. I can't sing. I can't think. I'm so spun. You know? And not that I'm not spun enough this morning. But anyway. But I boiled water. It's comforting. You know, some of you put stuff called oatmeal in that, don't you? <laughs> you know, your break- did you have oatmeal this morning? Okay. Well, you know, it, it's, it's this idea of, 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 you know, there's nothing, you know, I hope, you, I hope in the morning you guys take your mornings, especially most of you that don't have to go to work, take your mornings and take it leisurely. The mornings are an incredible time. Uh, of You get the water boiling, and I don't know why I'm going here, but anyway, then you get the Bible out, and you start praying the word back to God, or you use some kind of a prayer book, and you pray back to him. And, and just to, to ease yourself into the day, because if oh, to, when I, I do that routine, hopefully almost every morning, because this is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it, whether I want to or not. Now, an hour later, that may totally change, okay? All right, that's reality. But to be by that comforting fire that boils the water so I can have a cup of tea or coffee or whatever the case may be. Judgment, but also comfort. That's what God's purity does. It's a form of judgment, but it also provides us comfort. To make your name known to your adversaries. The book of Revelation describes some of that, particularly in the last chapters. I read part of Revelation last night just to kind of inform me on this particular passage. And I think, I think it's particularly the last couple of chapters in Revelation are good companions for this. When you did awesome things for which we did not look. We see that and we talked about this already. This is referring to Sinai. When you came down, the mountain shook at your presence for since the beginning of the world, man has not heard, nor perceived by the ear, nor has I seen any God besides you. Isn't that obvious? Some of you shake your head yes, and I agree with you on one respect, but no, it isn't. At least not to people who don't know God. Because they want to create a God of their own choosing. Usually it's an, it's, it's an elevated form of themselves is what it normally is. Could you imagine you as a God? Could you imagine the person, I shouldn't say this because you're sitting next to your spouses, but could you imagine the person sitting next to you as a God? That wouldn't work. <laughs> or whatever, anyway. That's why you sit far apart, anyway. 
I think that we need to be reminded that men have not heard, that I has not seen any God besides you. I think we need to remind ourselves of that. And while Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, he is no match for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's more than a match for you and I. But he's no match for Jesus Christ because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And we need to start thinking about that and remembering that. And for goodness sake, even, even collectively grabbing a hold of our sorrows and our difficulty, but walking in that because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And sometimes in the battle of that, The only thing I can do is wait. The only thing I can do is ask him to show up. The only thing I can do is sing, come Lord Jesus, come. And wait for him to come and to reveal himself. But we need to remember who is on the throne. And then he, you meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you and your ways. If God returns in, the Lord returns in our lifetime, he's coming to meet you. If he calls you home prior to his return, he's calling you home to meet you. And to bring you into his presence. See, there's an incredible personalness about that verse. That he knows your name. He, he has the hairs of your head, whether you shave them or not. He has the hairs of your head numbered. He knows them. He knows you're getting up. He knows what the psalmist says. He knows you're going out. He, he knows everything about you. And, 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 and this idea of meeting you, I believe, is, is talking about the fact that he just desires to have, to take a step closer to you and become even more intimately equated with you. But even more so in that relationship, he's desiring for you to come more intimately related and closer to him. And so therefore, again, particularly in the third coming idea that I brought out, that Lord, come back, come to me in this situation. He wants to meet you where you're at. And he wants to walk through the struggle with you. And in the course of the struggle, he wants to show you great and wonderful things about himself that you do not know. And then the end of verse 5, you have what's kind of a lamentation here. Okay? I told you I'd get to lamentations eventually. All right? It says, you indeed are angry, for we have sinned. Now, this is God's prophet talking about God's people. He's not talking about them. He's talking about us. 
And it's a call for us to take ownership in the lamentation. So Peter talks about this idea, if you suffer because you're, not, you're basically being a, a moron, essentially he uses that, that, that idea, that, that's, that doesn't mean anything. But you, if you suffer for righteousness sake, then that actually means something. And, and what I've found is that in, in the course of suffering, sometimes in suffering, you know, it, hopefully it causes you to take some form of a personal inventory. And when I take a personal inventory of who I am and what I'm doing and what my life is really all about, I'm usually going to find some kind of sin somewhere. Somewhere. Because if you don't take that inventory, you can start to try to get on the cross. And the cross was made for one person and one person alone. That was Jesus Christ. In other words, we get into a victim mentality. And the reality is, even those things he became a victim for as he paid for them on the cross. For we have sinned, you are angry, we have sinned, and in these ways we continue and we need to be saved. Now, he is talking to people that are in the faith. It is not that they backslid and lost their salvation or any of this kind of stuff, but there are times, I believe there are times in it, that we are saved. The Bible says that we are saved. I think when you are saved, you are saved. That's it, right? We, that, that's a given, all right? If you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are saved. But he's using this in kind of a figurative way as well. Lord, save me from this situation. You see this all over the Psalms, don't you? At least I do. Okay. You see this all over the Psalms. And it's a calling for God to save us. I mean, this this whole book in Isaiah, it, it... Can I take a few extra minutes today? We're okay? Just a few? I think I'm just getting started, but I'm looking at the clock going, oh my goodness. Um, Ah, here it is. Nope. I'm in chapter 1. That's what I get for not putting in my notes. Okay, I found it. Unless the Lord of hosts, chapter 1, verse 9, unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. He's talking about the nation collectively, but the nation or the city, if you want to use that term, is the soul, the individual soul, writ large. In other words, what applies to the collection, the collective of people and nations and cities and city-states also applies to the individual. And so, again, we have to read Isaiah 64 in the context of Isaiah 1 and recognize Lord, I, I need to continually be saved from... Now, 
I'm, I'm giving this to you from, I, I'm, no, I'm not saying this, but I'm giving this to you from the standpoint of I believe in eternal security, all right? But nonetheless, I'm not talking about your, 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 your salvation, your place of righteousness with God. I'm talking about being saved from the situation. Does that make sense? And where God redeems the situation, where I don't just turn into a bitter, angry old man, all right? Because, because as we get older, we have a tendency to, to go that direction. And, and trials and difficulties and hardships in life are either going to make you bitter or they're going to make you better. One of the two. And so what I believe this is really saying to us, guys, is that we need to be saved from our own carnality. Because as I said to you a couple of weeks ago, you're not as spiritual as you think you are. And you definitely are not as spiritual as everybody else thinks you are. <laughs> I'm glad you laughed. But anyway, <laughs> but God loves you anyway. And you got to hear that as well. Thank God. Verse 8, I'm going to move on. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are the potter, and all we are the work of your hand. I've never done pottery. And I, it looks messy, right? You know, and you get this lump of clay and it's, you spin it around, which would make me dizzy anyway, but you spin it around and, and it's shaped by your hands. What, what, what is the prophet saying here? He's saying that the, this is a longing. This is a longing for the touch of God. This is a longing that I think includes what Job said, that though he slay me, yet I will still trust him. And, and I, need, I need to have his hands in my life. I need to have him involved in, mo- in moving uh, the clay, which is me, uh, on the wheel and, and shaping me and conforming me and creating me into that vessel that he desires for me to be. And oh, at times it hurts. And it's difficult. And I'll go 20-something on y'all. It's not fair, Right? I hate that. Anyway. Actually, it's 30-something now. Anyway. But the potter knows exactly what he desires to do when he puts his hands into the clay and shapes it and forms it into the image that will bring him glory. It'll bring him glory. And, and this, w- what I see here too is not only this idea of desiring um, for God's touch, but it's a submission to his sovereignty. It's a submission to his sovereignty. Jeremiah talks about this and does clay argue with the potter? Some of you do. I don't want you to do that, right? That's what we do. I would imagine, I, I would like to see a YouTube of how God responds to some of our idiotic prayers. 
I really would. I mean, I, I, I'm with you. Okay, I, I'm among you on this. I, I'm sure plenty of mine are up there. People are just like, are you kidding me? Did he really ask of that? But I can see God up there going, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Just bear with this. Just bear with me. Well, there's nothing about God's doing a work in your life that you don't really want him to do to make you long for his coming, isn't it? I mean, really. But they long for his touch, which means it's an approval. It's granting permission. I know this sounds weird but approving and granting permission to God to do a work in your life. And then do not be furious with this Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Verse 9, indeed, people, look, we are your, or please look, we are your people. Hey, it's a reminder. <clears throat> Does God need to be reminded? Is God forgetful? Then why is this here? Because we need to be reminded. Because we are forgetful. Your holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem is a desolation, which means a wasteland. Is that the case when this was written? No. This is prophecy. Isaiah began his ministry somewhere around the neighborhood of 740, 730 B.C., probably went maybe as far into the early 600s B.C. When did Jerusalem become a wasteland? 586 B.C. He's prophesying here. What he is saying here to the people who heard this originally probably did not make a bit of sense. So they apprehend by faith or they reject and scoff in unbelief. God declares, we choose. I had a conversation recently with a pastor friend of mine and that's what it boiled down to. God declares and we choose. Our holy and beautiful temple where our fathers praised you is burned up with fire and all the pleasant things are laid waste. Will you restrain yourself because of these things, O Lord? Will you hold your peace and afflict us very severely? It's an interesting question that he does not rightly, correctly, right away answer. In other words, this prayer leaves the person praying in exactly the same place they were when they began. Isn't this encouraging? This is the first Sunday of Lent. I mean, excuse me, Advent. The other Lent. No, anyway. Uh, this is the first Sunday of Advent. We are looking forward to his coming. It's a looking. It's a longing. It's a, it's a tarrying. 
is a waiting. The blessed hope is the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the meantime, we continue to sing. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come in the future. But please, please, please come right now. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you you are faithful. We thank you that your word is reality. And it is not like a sitcom that the problems are solved in a half hour or an hour. But as we wait for you, we also recognize you wait for us. And often it is that you bring us to that place of desperation so that deep calls out to deep. And so we thank you, Lord, for the work that you do in our lives, even that work that we really don't want you to do. We thank you that you are faithful, that you are loving, that you have this incredible intimate knowledge of who we are. We pray, Lord, this morning for all of us here, we pray for your grace to come upon us, to fall upon us, to enable us just to to get through the day, through the week, the month, this year. Pray that you would help us, that you would come and dwell among us. As we sang this morning, Hosanna, save now. Heal us, O Lord, and we will be healed. Save us and we will be saved, the psalmist said. So we're asking. And we're waiting. We're hoping. And we're trusting. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you.